Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Real quickly, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. I already shared that I'm looking to do some things differently this year as my focus is to really help you get stuff done. We're not just moving the ball. Oh no, we're dominating the game. On today's episode, Kara Golden, founder and formerly the CEO of Hintwater, joins me on the show where we discuss the importance of your network, becoming undaunted, dealing with doubters and your own doubts, and so much more. Kara is one of those elite business people who just gets it. Many would agree with me on that as Kara was also named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, one of Fortune's most powerful women entrepreneurs, and the Huffington Post listed her as one of six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. This is definitely an episode you want to pay attention to. You ready? Let's go. Kara, it is great to have you on the show and inside the huddle with us today. We've been talking for quite some time about having you as a guest, and so I'm just glad to have this conversation with you, and I'm looking forward to getting into our topics. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It is winter, and it is very cold in Chicagoland, uh, so I'm very much looking forward for spring to come. We've still got a little ways to go, but definitely looking forward to it. I totally agree. So it's not that cold in, in San Francisco, the Bay Area, but it still is pretty brisk. So I'm, I'm ready for real spring. Now, we recently kicked off season four of the show. And one of the things that I'm really emphasizing this year is elevation, getting to that next level, pushing your boundaries of comfortability and just going against the grain and really dominating, not just moving the ball, but let's dominate. And so in alignment with this theme, I'm having guests like yourself on the show who have dominated in their field and who have been atop of their game. And you have a fascinating journey from waitress to dot-com executive to disruptive entrepreneur. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. So thank you again for joining us. So we're in, we're close to the beginning of a new year. And a lot of people are thinking about, you know, new year, new me, what am I going to do differently this year so that I can continue to move the ball and do amazing things. So when you look at the remaining time that we have for 2023, what are you excited about this year? And what are some of the things that you're going to be doing differently? You know, first of all, I think what's really important is to look back on I call it your journey and really figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And I think when you do that, that helps you to actually move forward. So I I think that, you know, that process for me was a lot of what I did in December to really figure out what I wanted to be able to accomplish in the coming year. And so for me, for 2023, I think it's it's really figuring out, you and I mentioned, just as a side note, my my kids are all older and trying to figure out 
do I want to stay in the Bay Area? I think we do. Or do we want to actually make some kind of change? I don't know where that would be. So that's definitely in terms of lifestyle, trying to figure out that part of it. I think also for me, it's giving back to people because I think that actually going through a lot of the things, a lot of the hurdles that I went through in in becoming an entrepreneur, scaling as an entrepreneur, and a lot of the lessons that I learned along the way, I really wanted to write those things out and get a book published around it, which I did a couple of years ago called Undaunted. But I think more than anything, there's definitely some opportunities, whether it's investing or one-on-one time with people that I want to spend time with to really help them climb those walls and make it easier for them to kind of push forward too. So I think it's less about me, but more about being helpful and and really, you know, doing that on a broader scale. Yeah. And I love that because something that I always say is moving the ball is not just about you. It's about how you help to enable, inspire, and empower other people to be successful. So I think that's fantastic. And something else you mentioned was that you recently released a book back in October 2020, that's fairly recently, called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubt and Doubters. And I'm glad you you brought that up because I really wanted to start our conversation with your book as I was preparing for our show. I mean, there's so many topics that we could go into. And I know you do a lot of shows and a lot of people ask you about your journey with Hint Water and we'll get into that. But I didn't want to start with that. I wanted to really get into the book because I think... What you've put together in the book is such a great set of perspectives on your journey and how to deal with your own doubt as well as doubters. So people ask me all the time when I wrote Move the Ball or the new book, Dominate the Game, well, why did you write it? What's the story? And there's always something that prompts us to want to do this. So for you with Undaunted, why did you decide to write it when you did? You know, I felt like there were a number of people who I didn't know who could be helped by this information and kind of the things that I did right, the things that I did wrong along the way. And I really started to see when I was out public speaking and doing some of my talks along the way, the Q&A at the end when people would ask me questions that, you know, obviously I didn't know were coming at me and sort of challenges that they had. I found that they seemed so much easier to to me than they were to, you know, the person asking the question when I, you know, went through the story and sort of shared, set it up and, you know, really was able to kind of try and get them in my head and sort of what my experience was in, in kind of tackling something along the way. And I thought if I could just share a lot of these stories with people, then I was seeing firsthand how you know, the person's face was changing, right? Like they felt a little more at ease that they weren't alone. So that was kind of the first moment when I thought one day I've got to get this message out to more people beyond people that are coming to my talks or people that follow me on social. I really felt like it would be another avenue. And, you know, going back to this whole concept of helping people, I always, you know, share with people that, If you actually have some sort of dialogue, if you're starting a company and you have a dialogue with your consumers 
and your consumers are able to share with you how you're really helping them to do something. That's a powerful thing. And it's, it's not just about getting successful, right? But it's, it's just about connecting in some way. So I felt like it was really along the same lines as that, that if I thought just by being able to share these stories with people, that maybe they would go out and start their dream, go out and start something that was seemed daunting, seemed hard, where there's lots of naysayers saying, oh, you can't do that because you don't have the right experience or you can't raise capital. You can't do this. You can't do this. And so that was really the main reason why I wanted to kind of get these stories out there. Well, I love it because sometimes we just need to connect with other people and then that empowers ourselves to go after those things, right? So I think that it's great to have a book like yours out there. And you brought up a good point. I mean, not everybody follows us on social. Not everybody listens to our podcast. And so having a book is another way to connect with people that may not already know us and follow us and still bring value and serve them to help them be successful or go after whatever it is they're looking to achieve. So I love it. And something that I really like is it's not just about the doubt that you have within yourself, but it's the doubters and those people that don't see your value. And my listeners know when I first wrote Move the Ball, I didn't know a single person that played college football, that played professional football, but I knew the game and I wrote about all the things that I learned from the sport and how to be successful in my own career. And I always wanted to be connected in the sport of football. And there were so many people that didn't see the value, that doubted, that were like, mm, you're a woman who wrote about football. Great. Good for you. Right. And so it took a lot of work to get the move of the ball brand, the movement to where it is today. And we, when you look at anybody who's been successful, they have had these kinds of people along their journey, those that doubted them, those that aren't with them. And in my Dominate the Game book, there is a chapter called With or Without You. And it's about how you're going to do things with somebody that's going to be alongside you. And if they're not, that's okay. And you keep moving forward. And sometimes those people that don't want to be with you, they come back around after some time because they they then somehow see the value or they want to be associated with you. And sometimes they don't ever come and they don't want to be a part of it, but that's okay too. You just have to still keep believing in what your vision is and keep moving forward. So when you look at the doubters that you've had to experience throughout your journey is there one that really like stands out for you that you always think about and you look at how far you've gone like you know what I'm glad that I didn't get focused on you and whatever you said to me or you know whatever you tried to steer me off to do because this was the path I was supposed to be on and I'm glad I did it yeah there were so many I think probably in addition to that I was probably my biggest doubter because when you hang out with those people right you engage with those people, there's there's always this, you know, voice in your head that says, I already think that I can't do this. And then you engage with somebody that says, this is never going to work. You don't have industry experience. You have never done this before. It's really tough to raise capital as a female entrepreneur, whatever the sort of issue is. It's not that you haven't thought of the majority of those challenges, roadblocks. But when you hear confirmation from other people, I'm not going to lie. It's it's totally, totally tough. But when I was first starting Hint, I was just running into so many roadblocks. I couldn't figure out, we were trying to not only produce a product, but launch an entirely new category called unsweetened flavored water. And no one was doing that. I mean, there were flavored waters out 
there, but nobody was doing an unsweetened, still flavored water. And in addition, I didn't want to use preservatives in the product. And all of the co-packers that we were going to, to actually produce our product, that wasn't in the specs. They didn't want to take on a product that wasn't going to use preservatives in it because they were nervous about that. So we almost shut the company down because there were so many that were sort of piling on challenges. A friend of mine introduced me to somebody at Coca-Cola and she said, look, I met this gentleman. I don't know him very well, but I met him on a plane and maybe he'll connect with you as a, you know, early stage beverage company. So I was very excited to meet with him. I thought maybe he could help with production. Maybe he can help with distribution. Obviously, they're not really in the space around unsweetened flavored water. So it's not really competitive. I mean, I was so new to, to all of this. When I started talking to him about what we were doing and we had gotten it into, you know, a handful of stores in San Francisco where I was living at the time, it was interesting because he listened very carefully and then he jumped in and said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. This is all over the phone. It wasn't in person. Very dismissive. And the fact that he called me sweetie, I think sort of threw me for a few minutes. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm dealing with somebody who's kind of a jerk, right? And should I really be even continuing this conversation or should I try and get off the phone? And instead, what I realized is that he had a very strong opinion about why Hint was not going to make it. And his opinion was counter to what I had seen, again, with a small audience, but the audience that I was hearing from, because I had that connection with the consumer, was telling me that they were really looking for a product like Hint that didn't have any sweeteners in it, that just tasted great. And they weren't getting that product prior to having tried Hint. So as I was hearing him talk, what I realized is that the challenge for a lot of large companies and sort of top tier players within any industry, frankly, not just the beverage industry, is that they kind of believe their own stuff, right? After a while. And I think especially if you're leading a strategy around the fact that, you know, this is this is the way things are and this is what consumers say. You aren't thinking about how the consumer is changing. You're instead justifying your own strategy, which is incredibly dangerous. And so, you know, I always tell people that the most dangerous competitors, challengers to an entrepreneur are probably not the big guys that have lots and lots of money because they're actually trying to figure out a way to continue to doing what they're doing and continue growing. They're not really looking at you. And if they do look at you, they're probably not going to compete. They'll buy you, right? They're probably not going to do what you think they're going to ultimately do. And so when I got off the phone, and this was after he shared with me that the consumer wants to have diet sweeteners and lower calories. At that point, it was like 10 calories were were all the drinks. And he said, we need to get it to zero calories. That's when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to convince him otherwise. And I 
shouldn't try to convince him otherwise. He wasn't going to help me with production. He wasn't going to help me with distribution. Instead, he was trying to tell me that my idea was stupid and it wasn't going anywhere. So when I got off the phone, that's when I made a decision. I thought I can either quit, which he probably thought I was going to do, or I can throw my foot on the gas and recognize that I have this audience and I just need to figure out how to grow it. He was a doubter. I wasn't going to be able to change what he thought, but I also got intel and confirmation that sometimes audiences that people in the same industry are looking at are different. And what I was seeing was an emerging audience and I wasn't looking at the existing audience as a place that I was going to try and convince. Instead, I was predicting where they would be going, which is very, very different. And I really like that story for a number of reasons. One, I mean, it's a great story about not listening to someone that who didn't see your value and continuing on to be successful. But I think there are people that have their viewpoints, like you said, and it's their way and that's how it's going to be. And they're not thinking about the future, right? And as I was listening to your story, it made me think about my own journey with move the ball. And I mean, I was trying to network with people in the sports industry and it's tough to do. It's a competitive industry and being a woman, it's even more difficult. And I remember connecting with a woman who she had worked in the front office of an NFL team. Her family had owned that team at one time. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the connection that can really just help me, you know, another woman, maybe we'll figure out how we can work together. And I had such high expectations for this conversation. And it didn't go that way. And so I felt a lot worse because of the expectation I had. But basically what she said to me was she said, none of these NFL players care about what you have to say. I think you're wasting your time and you should go focus on something in corporate. And she's not the only person that said that to me along the way. But because of what I had hoped for from the conversation, I've always remembered it. And I could have, you know, I had a decision to make too, right? I could have said, okay, she's right. Let me just go back to something else or I'm going to put my foot on the gas and keep going. And while there are some players that might not see my value, there are quite a few that do reach out to me for help, whether they're paying me to help them with their brands and and business ventures, or they're just looking for me to help connect them to someone. And there are people that listen and that do see the value. And I think over time, too, you've seen in the professional football context, uh, it's a very, very short career span to be in the NFL. And so more and more younger players are realizing, I better figure out what I'm going to do beyond my sport because there's going to be so much more time to work and earn money and support my family when I'm done playing football. So it's just been interesting to see the journey. And I always think back to what if, like every time a really big player reaches out to me, I think no one, no one cared about what I had to say, right? Like, what if I listened to you? Then I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so I think that you, know, you writing this book is so important because we always have people that are going to tell us that you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. And really, the takeaway is for those listening, you need to really challenge those assumptions or those beliefs of that position and really look at what is the rest of the marketplace telling you? What is the rest of your audience saying to you? Are you on the right path? Now, sometimes you might have to adjust, but it's don't just take the no. Just look at how do I continue to get to a yes? How do I continue to progress if this is something that you believe in? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really, really important to pay attention to. Now, something that I read, I was looking at some of the reviews on the book, and one I really liked 
It was from Adam Grant, who is a New York Times bestselling author. And he said, many people are dreamers, but Kara Golden is also a doer. Reflecting on her impressive career as an underdog who beat the odds, she shows how entrepreneurs can build better products, marketers can build better brands, and leaders can build better companies. When I started the show, I talked about how this is about elevation, getting stuff done, really dominating. When you look at the things that you've done to move the ball, to elevate, to dominate, uh, what are some of the key things that you would pass on to our listeners that I think or that they would find to be you know, very, very beneficial? Like a lot of people will talk about the work ethic and the hard work. Okay, yeah, obviously you have to perform, you have to get work done, but like there's more than just working a bunch of hours, right? So what are those things that you think are really important for people to do, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're navigating their corporate career so that they can continue to elevate? I think one of the most important things for anybody to do, whether or not you're an entrepreneur or you're just a human in life, is really figuring out when you feel stuck, when you feel like you're not getting the kind of traction that you want to be getting. I think really stopping for a minute and asking yourself, what can you do? Because I think when you figure out how to get some progress, that can change, right? Your algorithm is going to change along the way as long as you start to get traction, but it's really opening it up. How can you start to get that? That is really the key. And so I would say that that's probably the number one question that I make sure that I always have kind of on the tip of my tongue when I'm, when I'm feeling like I'm doing anything because you never know when you're going to be stuck. Getting stuck can come at a time when you don't expect something to happen. And then all of a sudden, while everything's going along, then it's not. But you ask yourself, what can you do in order to move forward? And even if it's a tiny little movement, that is often enough to allow you to really tap into that. And that doesn't mean that your what can you do isn't going to change, right? You have to keep pushing forward and keep asking yourself that question until you feel like you've got some momentum. Absolutely. Now, when you look back on your career, I mean, you've called yourself an accidental entrepreneur before. And when I look at my career, I mean, I didn't think that I would be in the entrepreneurial space. I always thought I would climb the ladder, be in the Fortune 500 C-suite. And things happen in our lives, whether grandiose things or little things that make us kind of think what we're doing and replan our path going forward. And so when you look, I mean, you didn't start out as an entrepreneur right? I think your first job was working at time. And so walk us through, how did you decide to leave the quote unquote corporate world behind to become an entrepreneur? You know, it's interesting because I worked at time as my first kind of job out of college, but then I, I stayed in media and I went and worked at a company called CNN. And so that was kind of a, a little bit later stage startup, but it was definitely still the founder was still in the room. And even though Ted was primarily working in Atlanta, definitely he graced us with his presence in in New York. And I, I really, I think that that was the time when I really saw the founder energy and how that energy can be a little crazy at times. And I think that more than anything, I saw this belief system that I think many, many founders have that 
is very different than a company that does not have a founder still around. And so I was there for a few years and that's when I moved out to the Bay Area with my husband and I decided that I was trying to figure out all of my experience had been in media. I decided that coming to the Bay Area, the roles in media were very different. Um, at that time, pretty much New York was it for media, unless you were doing ad sales. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to try and figure out what else I can do. I mean, I sort of tapped into media, but that wasn't the only thing that I could do. And tech was really what everybody talked about around the Bay Area. So the first company that really came to mind, and I encourage everybody, if you're ever trying to figure out, what do I really want to do? Like, what is it that you get really excited about? What companies, if you got the call tomorrow, as I always say to people, that you got some sort of role there that you could get up every morning and you could work on this, what would that be? For me, it was a fascination around Macintosh computers. And I had had a Mac in college and I really saw the difference on the outside of a Macintosh computer versus some of these other A-frame computers, very, very boring, ugly computers that this guy Steve Jobs had developed. And so I knew he was in the Bay Area. I didn't know how I was going to get a role at Apple, given the fact that I didn't have any technology experience. I just had media experience. But when I was doing my research, that's when I stumbled upon this spin out of Apple that had been incubated inside of Apple that was doing something called CD-ROM, CD-ROM shopping. It was called Two Market. And so the thing that I really liked about it was that it kind of connected media. They had to figure out how ads were going to support it. And it was also closer to San Francisco versus Mountain View. Uh, Cupertino, where Apple is, is located, was almost 100 miles, which I thought wasn't so doable every single day. So I cold called a guy that was quoted in an article that I read about the company, about Two Market. And I cold called them and said, hi, I just moved to the Bay Area. I'm really interested in what you're doing. I saw that you're, that you spun out of Apple and was wondering if I could come take you to lunch. I don't know anybody in the Bay Area either. I figure what's the worst that can happen? He says, no, he didn't say no. He said, yes. And it's interesting because the first question out of his mouth, he said, oh, you just moved here from New York. What were you doing? You're working at CNN. He said, oh, that's so interesting. Like, what's Ted Turner like? He was really interested in kind of the founder-led companies as well. And he had obviously come from Apple where Steve was there. And so that's where I made this connection and got really excited about what they were doing, but still didn't think that I was necessarily going to get a job there. It was very much earlier stage than even what I had seen at CNN. But I figured he ended up offering me a role it was so early stage, like he didn't even know what the role was exactly going to be doing. But I figured I'm not doing anything else. I can take this. If it doesn't work, then I can, you know, move on to something else and figure out if 
there's any opportunity here for me, which is what I did. And then ultimately one of our investors, America Online, acquired us. And I was folded into another startup that had a founder in there, Steve Case. And so ended up staying with America Online, probably the latest stage startup, but really saw the hockey stick in place that was so fast and and crazy and ended up being there until I left. I left when it was a billion dollars in revenue to America Online. And I think when, when I left there, just to sort of sum it up, I really believed that I would go and do something in tech because I was in the Bay Area. I never thought about starting my own company, even though I had worked for three different founder-led companies. But maybe it demystified this this idea of starting a company a little bit, just being able to go and work for somebody. And I think that that is, that is something that is not talked about enough, that if you really want to know what it's like to actually go and start a company, rather than starting it, especially if you don't have a great idea, maybe go work for somebody that you're going to be able to kind of see how it is. Also see different stages of companies too. I know people that have thought about starting a company and they can't even imagine going to a company or starting a company in the zero to 10 million phase. There's a lot of things that need to get set up. And as Steve Jobs said, you got to buy a coffee maker. You've got, you know, lots of things that you have to do beyond, beyond actually launching your product or service. So I think that more than anything, I think just being able to work for some founders, incredible founders, that really gave me the idea, the courage, um, the know-how to just go out and do it. And what's the worst that's going to happen if it doesn't? And that was really my story. And you bring up a really great point for people if you're thinking about entrepreneurship and you're not quite sure what it is you're going to do and or you don't have the experience that you think would be good to have before you make a jump. It's a great idea is to go work for other people that are in different stages of entrepreneurship so you can learn from their experience. There's a chapter in the book, Dominate the Game, called Get Inside the Huddle, and it talks about surrounding yourself with the right people. And that circle, that huddle is going to change depending on what it is you're looking to do. So like for me, when I was in Fortune 50 companies, the people that I surrounded myself were Fortune 50 senior executives, because that's the path I was going on. When I made the decision to leave and be an entrepreneur, I completely shifted the circle from a day to day to people that were thriving in the world of entrepreneurship, because it's very different to run a multi-billion dollar global brand go and then you know go to you're on your own and nobody knows your brand and how do you scale how do you grow how do you get recognition very very different so i needed to learn from those people not the people that were running multi-billion dollar companies right and had a bazillion dollars at their disposal it's very different as you know when you're starting up capital is limited resources are limited you have to be very intentional with every freaking penny that you spend whereas there is some fat in a fortune 50 company or a fortune 100 company and a lot more funds available to test things a thousand percent so when you look something i'm big on is networking i mean people say that your network is your net worth and it's all about the people that you've gotten to know in your professional circle that could help you grow, help you create other business opportunities. And LinkedIn is one of those platforms 
that I think is a great way to connect with other people. I mean, you and I connected through LinkedIn as well. And so I think it's really neat to see how the landscape has changed over time with the introduction of technology and tools such as LinkedIn to be able to connect people that you may never have connected with otherwise because you're just geographically in different spaces or different industries. I totally agree. And I feel like that sums it up for me too, because you get to meet so many people that maybe you wouldn't normally meet, not just geographically, they're not around you, but they might not be in your industry. So I think that that's what a lot of those platforms do for me. And and the things that they're talking about are relevant to things that I really want to know more about. Something that I wanted to just encourage people listening, if you're not, a lot of people back in the day thought LinkedIn was really a job platform. And when it first started, it was more focused on you know, you're looking for a job, come here, connect, reach out to people. Whereas now it's really evolved into a huge community of professionals. You know, it's, it's a forum where people can share information, where people can build relationships. And so if you are not on LinkedIn or you're not using it, I would strongly encourage you, whatever field you're in or business you're in, I mean, start utilizing the platform to the extent that you can. It does take time. I mean, you have to be on it. And so you know, whatever time you can devote to it on a weekly basis. I mean, just get on the platform or other tools too and start connecting with people. It's a great way to meet new friends, meet new professional colleagues and to learn and grow. Definitely. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do the two minute drill. And I've got a couple other questions I want to ask you before we end the show. Do you feel like it's impossible to stand out when searching for your dream job? The truth is, it is possible to get a great new job and not settle during this time of economic uncertainty. To do this, LinkedIn must be a part of your playbook. With over 700 million users across the globe, LinkedIn is a great way to expand your professional network, grow your brand, and position yourself for that job you really want. I'm so confident that LinkedIn will be a game changer for you like it has been for me. I've created a free LinkedIn checklist with tips and strategies on how to make your profile stand out. You can download it by going to www.thenextfirstdown.com and clicking there. I'll also send you emails with winning tips and strategies on job searching, interviewing, and resume writing to help set you apart from the competition and land that dream job. Now, back to our show. All right, we're back. So, Kara, I want to get into my two-minute drill now and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, the first question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? I would say resourceful, curious, and relentless. Love it. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? I am very social, but I'm also very much an introvert. I love my alone time. As I'm getting older, I come to value that alone time much, much more now, too. Totally. Next question is, would you rather be the world champion of a sport or the CEO of a billion-dollar company and why? It's a tough question because I think that on the one hand, being the CEO of a billion-dollar company, I think it sounds great. It, it might not be all that it's made out to be, but I also think that there's probably some longevity there that might not be there in in terms of sports. Next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? So I just finished a great book, actually. It's called The Real-Time Leadership 
And it's by Carol Kaufman and David Noble, who are actually head of the coaching program at Harvard Medical School. The subtitle is Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High. And certainly the stakes are high for many business leaders, but it was just a great book. And it just had me thinking about a lot of different ways to get unstuck and ways to keep moving. And I just really, really enjoyed it. It sounds like a great book. I'll have to check it out. Next question is, if you could have any song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? It's funny. I've never actually had, I do a ton of public speaking. No one's ever asked me when I'm getting on stage, what song do you want? But for some reason, I have the tiger always is playing. I don't know why it's hysterical, but I, I feel like Alicia Keys, what's the song underdog? That that's probably a song that is, is kind of more representative of sort of what I've done and what I've built and kind of understanding me. So. All right. Next question is, what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed? Being able to do something that I can have impact. So I think that that's the one thing that I look at with Hint, that being able to actually help people get healthier is something that is, it's not really valued, I think, as much as it should be. So if you can, if you can imagine a role where that would be happening, that success would happen by just helping a lot of people, count me in. Next question is, you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you any, anywhere. Where are you going? I have not been on a safari and I've always wanted to do that. So I would say I'm a huge animal person. So I think for me, being able to learn and experience and, and go somewhere that I sort of have this picture in my head of what it would be like, but I would love put my feet on the ground and actually see it. So I think that that would be it. A safari sounds like a lot of fun. So definitely something you should do here in the near term. Last question. The bonus question is M&Ms, plain or peanut? For sure, plain. I I can't even imagine putting peanuts. And I like peanuts, not with my M&Ms though. So just a couple other things I want to talk to you about before we close the show. Something that I think is important is calling the time out and taking a break when you need to, because it's so easy to continually grind, 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 especially when you're an entrepreneur and even more so like in the startup phases, because you don't have a mature business that's just bringing in money. So it's just a constant grind. What are some of the things that you would do to take a break just to you know reset, refocus, recharge? Well, you and I talked about where I live. I'm in Marin County. And part of the reason why I love it here is that I have hiking trails that are easily accessible. So I never set out to find a place to live where I had hiking trails. I think that that would be a priority for me if I ever moved away from here because I I love it. The main reason I love it is that it really, it's easy access. It's convenient to be able to get outside and take a walk. And what I find is that when you're in nature, when you don't have a lot of cars around, oftentimes there's not a lot of people around. You see different life and animals and different types of greenery and et cetera. It really resets you no matter what kind of mood you're in. So when I really need to kind of decompress and and 
get in my zone to be able to be protective and I feel like I'm off in some way, I get outside and definitely go on a walk and talk, I call it. It's great to just be out with nature too. And it's just peaceful, allows you to just kind of think and do nothing if you want, just kind of just relax. Totally. So you mentioned earlier that you have four children. And so it's definitely difficult, I think even more so as a woman, to manage your career, manage your business while also trying to maintain the commitments of the family. So I have, you know, I have five kids myself, as you know, and so it's always a challenge to make sure that you're giving them the time and the attention that they need and, and also continue to grow in your career and navigate that your business or a lot of people, they put their career on hold so that they can, you know, just dedicate themselves to the family. And then they, they worry about, well, how do I advance when my kids are older, right? Instead of trying to manage it collectively. And so when you look at, you know, just your, journey with your children and you know running hint water and just you know trying to be successful and grow that business while being there for your family what are some of the things that you did to try to integrate it and make it all happen smoothly yeah you know i think it sort of starts and ends with if you love anything then you find a way to make it work you know i love my family i love the work that i was doing to actually change an industry for the better and so you make time right the old saying you know If you want to get something done, give it to the busiest person. But I would add, give it to the busiest person who's really passionate and engaged about something and really loves that. And I think that that's what it boils down to. Because when I look at the people that are feeling anxious, that they put the roadblocks up in front, like I can't possibly have a family and have them be well-adjusted or not hate me or whatever and start a company or go to work or whatever, I question whether or not they actually really enjoy what they're doing and if they feel like they can really have impact and if they're really into it in some way. Because if they're not, then you're not going to put the time in to to go and figure it out. I really like what you said about if you're passionate about things, then you will find a way to do it. And that's what high performers do, right? They find a way to balance and to integrate the things that they love. I don't like to use the word balance a lot because I think it's overused, but it's really integrating all the components of our life together to be able to keep things moving on the personal side, as well as the business end. Mm -hmm. Totally. So Tara, as we look to close the show, let people know, where can they follow you? Where are you at on social media? Sure. All over social media at Kara Golden, G-O-L-D-I-N. And I also have my own podcast, The Kara Golden Show, where I interview other founders. So you can find me there too. Perfect. And we will have all of those links in our show notes so people can follow you on social media. Highly recommend people check out your podcast as well. You've got over 300 episodes. So you definitely put out a lot of great content and so many great insights and experiences that your guests share on your show. Kara, thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Once again, if you haven't already done so, be sure to follow the podcast so that you don't miss a future episode and share the show with a few friends as well. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. Be sure to also check out the show notes for Kara's social links as well as mine. There's a lot of great stuff there and we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? 
go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends too. Next, I want you to go to GetInsideTheHuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay, until next time.